out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of... Diesel Park West, because I recently spoke to John Butler, vocalist, guitarist, songwriter, to find out more about life, love and poetry. So this is the interview. So after several minutes of interesting but casual chat, we get down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years and that musical awakening. Anyway, John's going to explain everything and everything now. And also just to say that the interview, there was a couple of times when I had to, the connection broke and I had to sort of phone back. So um, there might be a few little jumps, but never mind. That's just details. Anyway, John, tell us about your musical awakening. Um, I think so. Probably it was um, seeing the Stones, I think, in the 60s. Um, that probably did that. I was re- very, very young. I was, uh, I was only 10, but... Uh, um, for some reason, we managed to see the Stones with Brian Jones at the uh, the, the Odeon the Odeon Cinema, which had gigs on as well, you know. Uh, and uh, that was an awakening, I'll tell you. You know, that, I mean, I've never seen anything like it really. Um, I was only a child, but then I kind of grew up into my teenage, and then pretty much the same era that you're you're talking about, really. Um, kind of yeah the the, the the beginning of glam then and, and and through that and bands like uh the new york dolls mott the hoople were, were a big sort of um influence in a lot of, more 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 to do with their attitude more than anything else so yeah I, I sound like i'm a bit older than you but not too much older and uh and yeah roughly the same thing yes absolutely but, but, basically, but basically my awakening as you you call it um was was seeing them in the 60s i mean it was it was phenomenal. they were only on for half an hour but it was it was really raw uh, rhythm and blues pop it was it was yeah sure it was r&b but it was pop as well you know and and, and that, that kind of pop sensibility that they had in those 60s singles you know it's all over now 19 the last time 19th nervous but those kind of those singles that they released at the time were uh uh, were, were pretty, you, you know, unique for, for me, I think, and uh, and it's stayed with me ever since. That that kind of uh, earthy, earthy pop production that, that they were really brilliant at, you know. Yes, so, and, yeah. and seeing Brian Jones as well, which is quite something. I think that um, it's funny the guy who comes and um, service our gas boiler each year tells me a time when he saw them in about 1963 or 64 at this little venue in yeah. in Norwich, and I think it was like the neighbour had a spare ticket and said, "Does the little right. you know does the 13 year old boy want to come see a band?" And it was like, "Oh right. yeah, you know," and and you know he got to see them, which was his kind of claim to fame almost. So um, yeah. So was yeah. that about 60? 67 68 for you then seeing the stones uh 65 45 yeah, i'm 68 now so um yeah i think i think it was yeah 60, it would have been uh, actually i know when it was it was september 64 blimey i was that yeah. <laughs> the year that i was born my god it all like, erupted right. didn't it so you were sort of at yeah. that perfect age when you were i suppose it was like 74 time then 10 years later then the charts must have been one of an obsession in your life at that point well the the not really an obsession there was there was a lot of stuff going on outside of the chart that was really important you know and obviously being a 20 year old kind of rock kid you know i was i was i was aware of all that and uh, there were a lot, there were a lot of undertones happening around the the, the chart success, but it, but there was also, you know, a, like I say, say a, say all the young dudes or, or 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 things of another record from a, you know from them another release from there that actually captured the the creative imagination, you know, as 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 a sort of an arrangement and and uh, and the way that. The way that, and maybe because of Boland as well, there was always during that period to your referring, there was always a um, a, a heavy uh, element of rock and roll about it. Rock and roll, as in you know, fifties rock and roll, which had carried through. It's almost like they by that time they'd they'd leapfrogged over the sixties and 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 gone and and in, infused a lot of production at that time with with. With the, the era before the '60s, uh, sort of production sensibilities. So, so you got a, you got quite a good mix. I think Boland got it really right when he stopped being a pixie and, and turned, 
and turned into Eddie Cochran, you know. Yes, I was going to say Eddie Cochran because it was like, yeah, he went through that rather fey period. When it was John Peel, he had this um, John Ravenscroft, he had this sort of show on a pirate radio, didn't he? Um, the Perfume Garden, I remember John, he right. would have Mark Boland doing his kind of poetry and bits and pieces. I mean, it was all very much of its time and it was so beautiful and innocent and everything. But, you know, it was, um, you kind of envy it because you realise that they really meant it as well, which was. Even, yeah, which was even better rather than it being yeah. cynical. And as at, at that stage, you must have then re you must have started experiencing that kind of the summer of kind of love period. You know where things had started getting from the sixty sixty four to the kind of psychedelic world a bit. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, six sixty seven, sixty eight was, um, and basically the mods started to grow their hair. You know, and uh, and it, it sort of grew that mod look out, and wore and wore wore a kind of a Sam Fran, you know, hate Ashby kind of fashion thing. And it and it and it, it when it got to sort of Britain, it um it really you could you could you could hear it seep into into productions and stuff. In fact, that that year, uh, that that twelfth period from sixty seven to sixty eight. Was uh, was probably the, the, the high watermark of uh, of, a, of a lot of um, you know rock and roll. Really, the way the way that I mean, you think about this, the singles that were coming out, think about what what people were doing, you know. And then a lot, and the bands. It was before the really before the corporate era. The corporate era didn't really kick in until the eighties, and then in, and in, in that in that sort of sixty seven sixty eight period, these bands that are making these great records and above all great singles, they're still going out on the road in transit vans, you know, playing through when. When, I mean, when you know, you'll see the small faces playing through gear now that the, the and the average you know pub group would, would, would be playing through, but it didn't seem to make any difference to the quality of the performance and the the, the power that was projected and the you know the groove and the sound. So yeah, it was <laughs> it was a great time really, and then and then you know then through the seventies, I didn't I didn't. I, I fully understood and and empathised actually empathised with with a lot of uh, punk rock in the, in the middle of the seventies, but I never quite um, you know fully fully signed up to it because because there were so many elements about it that were um, that were that were absent I thought and, re- and rendered it a bit shallow yes. ulti- ultimately. You know? What is and maybe it? That- I was, I was going to say about that, just going back slightly, <laughs> just to stick. But I think with the, in the 60s, I think in the 60s, there, there was those producers. There was Mickey Most, but there was also another guy from America who came to the UK, which, whose name was, was it Shell Tammy? Yeah, who, Shell Tammy, yeah. And, he, yeah. and it was amazing, his career, because he started with things like The Kinks and The Who, and then sort of was working with Jimmy Page on various other bits and pieces. And he, you know, he, he helped to sort of shape a huge amount of the, you know, the sound that we kind of loved during that really early period before, you know, he got disillusioned and fed up with being a producer. But his his early work was stunning. You know, it was like amazing. So It resonates today, you know, it, it, it really does. You, you can... You can see, some, some, you know, a kind of band and a young band now. You know, I mean, I mean, a guitar, a guitar band, a young guitar band now. Or, or really, if if you really listen, will be striving to to sort of to 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 project that same sort of cohesion in, in how they play. You know, that that particularly he um, and, and a few people like him at the time actually got down on record. Yes. So Really lucky. Those 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 records just have resonated through the decades. You know, I don't I don't think they'll uh, I don't think they'll die with the practitioners. I think it will just go on and on a bit like classical music or jazz did. You know, most of the people that were responsible for it are long gone. The music carries on. Yes, well, I, I, I think you know when they write a chapter about the the history of modern music, you know, or pop or rock or whatever you call it. I mean. You know, it will get condensed into a small chapter, probably, or, or you know, a few paragraphs, and it will be the Stones, and it will be the Beatles, won't it? And possibly a few others. But you've kind of got it in. You've got it in that that kind of one paragraph, really. Who you? knows what will be unearthed? You know, maybe they'll unearth some real kind of gems, real bed and uh, real buried jewels. You know, yes. who knows? 
But um, yes, I, I always remember when David Bowie was looking for a guitarist with Ziggy Stardust, he was looking for his Jeff Beck and he found Ronson. And I think, yes. you know, in a way that it kind of there's Ronson, there's, no, there's Page and there's kind of um, Jeff Beck and then obviously Hendrix and Clapton. And then after that, it's just kind of variations of those guys, really, isn't it? I guess so. But there's Dave Davis. Don't forget him. He was he was pretty no pun intended, but he was pretty instrumental in everything. Yes, know? this is true. This is where, also where true. Where are you speaking from? Where do you, where are you? Where I'm you? in Norwich. So um, there you go. Norwich. Right, okay. A fine city. So look, did your did your parents were they musical at all? Did they have a any musical influence on you, or did you have any brothers or sisters who shaped any of your musical direction? Yeah, my brother, yeah, uh, who was who was older than me, and he he was uh, yeah, he 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 it was a sort of unconscious influence there, I think. In fact, you spoke about Bowie and Ronson. He he had an album that he used to play a lot by a band from Hull called The Rats. And the Rats, yeah. In that band, yes, that was his band. I think that was his band. Yeah, there was a really good book out on Mix uh, Ronson recently, and um, yeah, I think he's getting more credit now for what he did during yeah. his, his Ziggy Stardust period. And then obviously he worked with Ian Hunter as well. So yeah. yes, there was a nice little collaboration there going on. And then he worked with Bob Dylan, which I think must have been very bizarre. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes, I don't think that one. Did you? I mean, just curious because I was obsessed with football during the seventies. Did were you were you a, a football fan? Because you obviously Leicester City, you know, were quite a glamorous ga- gang, weren't they? Glamorous. Uh, well, I don't know. Um, not maybe not quite so glamorous at the moment. Although we had a moment of six years ago when we won the league. Um, yeah, obviously. Every yeah, obviously you support you support the city as people call it. Um, but not really in the seventies. I was too busy, you know, playing at the marquee and and, and being all, all kind of rock and roll, right? But but the the eighties, the er, the early eighties was the year I got into uh, really going to Filbert Street, going to see the football. Yes, yeah, so, but when nobody, you know, home home games would, would pull about five or six thousand people. I kid you not, in about eighty eighty one. So it was it what it did a lot. It did it did reduced in popularity. But I used to go then and. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. It's great. Yes, I was, well, I was a bit more settled down at that point. Yes. So when did you start sort of going from that point of being a punt, uh, you know, a happy punter, going to gigs yeah. to thinking, right, I want to make this a little bit more of a a serious career decision, or not a career decision, but you know, this is going to be my path in life. Well, it's it's you, people like me, I think, uh, sort of tend to follow. Um, follow a kind of studied hedonistic route you know you you you, you kind of know what you're doing and there there has there has to be a lot of uh, practicalities involved in it but but ultimately it's it's a kind of hedonistic thing that you that you're doing you know like actually to be on stage playing in a, in a rock band or a rock and roll band is pretty you know, it's it's not. Re- I know it's become very common, but it's. But you think about it, it's not very normal. It's not <laughs> obviously normal activity. No. So I was I was I was pursuing that. But what what really, uh, people started. I started to get noticed as a as a as a vocalist. Um, and and that and that really, I didn't think I was much cop really. I thought I knew I was keen, and I, I know I knew I was probably all right. But I didn't think I was as 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 great as, as a lot of people were sort of saying I was. So that that kind of gave me a um, a kind of a, I don't think I needed a confidence lift, but it gave me it sort of confirmed that I wasn't wasting my time. And so then around then around uh, yeah, some point in the eighties, like uh, after I'd come back to Leicester after a period in in living in away living in London. Um, I, I, I started writing really, and it wasn't until the mid '80s that the writing there was a real gear shift, and uh, we'd be with the band Diesel Park West had, had, had you know materialised by then, and we were we first started putting stuff down at, at Rick Wilson's the guitar player's um, studio, and at first a very naive naive efforts really they're all right they've, they've got their charm to them if you listen to them now they're all still available but you know they, they there's all kind of naivety to it and then inexplicably but at the end of I, i'd say around the end of 85 85 and in certainly into 86 in, into 86 for sure the writing um you know really shifted in quality and and st- 
and and the way that we were performing and it started to to really get pretty seriously good then and funnily enough it was in 1987 just one year later after knocking on quite a few doors and, and getting close a few times but uh, it, it, you know it all it all broke for us in terms of uh, we got we got signed first to an in, a little indie label in in London, ran by the guy, a couple of guys. It was called Food Records, and then, and, but then we took them to EMI because it, we were the hot band in London around sort of '87, yeah. and EMI, EMI was so keen to sign us that they, uh, they signed, you know, the label that we were with too. That you know, just gobbled it up. So then we, suddenly we found ourselves in the position where where we, we've got a major label at our beck and call and uh, not at our disposal but kind of and so next thing we know we're at olympic studios making a record with a major producer and a major you know of a major label and that's when the first album came out um after that shakespeare alabama and from that we were sort of established as a as a name never broke through into the into the you know el dorado but but we've always been there and it's kind of growing in respect now and acknowledgement you know it's just there's a sort of it's we've been it's a slow burner but it is burning and it's burning right now it's burning well yes absolutely because it's interesting because you mentioned punk and and i was i was too young for punk but you would obviously would have been able to experience experience a bit more but it was kind of interesting that that you know it quickly sort of gets a bit you know tedious and then you had that post-punk period with you know bands like you know, magazine Gang of Four and other bands like the Nightingales. There was quite a lot of amazing bands from the Midlands at this stage. And then sort of 83 time, there's this kind of the rise of the indie pop sound of the people like the Smiths. Did did that sort of come onto your radar when you started hearing people like Johnny Moore? And, um, oh, yeah, it's, it's a good, good question. Well, I can re- distinctly remember hearing the, the, the intro to this charming man and thinking, whoever's playing that is a really good player. I remember thinking that. Um, and so obviously the, the, the Smiths happened. They had those two hits, didn't they? Um, William, it was really nothing, and another one. And I saw them actually. I went to see them one rainy Sunday night. I, I went on my own uh, one rainy Sunday night at the De Montfort Hall in Leicester. Um, it wasn't full or anything, but it was, it was, well, it was well attended. And I just sort of checked them out, and I thought they were good. I th- actually, I thought on stage <laughs> it was the bass player that held them together. Right, you know? but you. But you could, you, yeah. But you could tell that um, they they had their own agenda. They had they had their own thing. They weren't they weren't. Well, you you know you could hear traces of sort of mid sixties Keith Richards in uh, in Johnny Marr's playing. But as a band, as a band, you know, the, the, the Smiths Collective, they were. Um, I thought they were impressively original, put it that way. Yes, I think John Peel said that it was, he liked listening to a band where you thought, I'm not quite sure who they, they listened to when they were at home. You know, their, you, their influences aren't that obvious. I mean, they, they are and they aren't. And, and the Smiths, you know, you would, you know, because some people you think, God, you could pick their record collection, you know, where they've kind of plagiarised their bits and pieces. And um, I suppose the more interesting bands, you know, I know I love those rock documentaries where they talk to people like, you know, from Black Sabbath and, and members and they and they often say, oh, yeah, that was a classical album that I listened to, like The Planets. And there was this intro and I've used that intro to build a song which was on one of their first albums. And you think, oh, that's quite, yeah, they're quite clever kids. And Richie Blackmore was the same. He liked kind of Bulgarian folk music. So he would listen to something and then in you know, on some lute or some acoustic instrument and then put it through yeah. his kind of electric guitar and you think, eh, that's quite nice. You know, that's quite cunning. Not cunning, but you know what I mean? It's like, it's yeah. it's well, not... It's, it's it not it's, I was going to say it's yeah, not obvious, you know. It's like, okay, yeah, that's that's where you've got your inspiration from. Yeah. I've just got this mental image now of Ozzy Osbourne, a young Ozzy Osbourne sitting around listening to, the, to Gustav Holtz. But yeah, <laughs> that's that. It's a good. It's a good image. <laughs> Actually, I think it was the bass player who came up with a lot of it, or Tony, um, Tony Ioni, who sort of was was the kind of, and 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 I think Ozzy used to just kind of hum away kind of the the melody lyrics, you know, until he got the lyrics themselves. But I think the actually the the, the band themselves are quite kind of, yeah, quite clever blokes actually. Yeah, but well, you know, yeah, I don't doubt it. Yeah. But they, but look, as an indie kid, John Peel, we used to love him during the eighties. He'd often talk about the Princess Charlotte. Did this was this a, a venue that was on your radar at this stage? 
Yeah, well, we used to rehearse there, and then that that was that we used to we we where we played for a whole year that year '86 when we were really getting good. That's when we we were playing there, um, and uh, yeah, and people that's what, actually that's where people first came up to see us, you know. So yeah, the Charlotte was was a, played a big part in our in our uh, story. Yeah, it was it was a pivotal gig in Leicester. It was, it really was. So you got David Baff. He came along in '87, which was quite, he'd been part of that Eric scene in Liverpool, hadn't he? And uh, had sort of done quite a lot. And then was the inspiration of the Blur one, the um, Country House song, wasn't he? A few years later, when you made him a millionaire. So that was all kind of good. So was that? Did that for you? Did that really shift gears a lot? Getting kind of signed to and working with David. Uh, well, we were now, yeah, getting getting signed in. I don't know about working with him. He was, uh, he, he Balfe was one of these people that um, uh, it drives you crazy. But but he, he he's amongst his amongst uh, alongside him driving you crazy with his over dictatorial way. Uh, he, he used to speak a lot of sense too. He was very very down. To, he, he lived in the real world when it came to the music business, and a lot of a lot of the suggestions or advice that he gave, not all of it, some of it was ridiculous, but a lot of it was sound, was sound thinking, you know. And, uh, of course, without him and his partner, Andy Ross, we, we, we wouldn't have been signed anyway. So, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a, you know, we, we, we acknowledge them for being quite important to us. But Oh, you've gone. Come back. Ah. Did you... Are you there? Yes, I'm there. It went silent there for a second. My heart stopped. Yes. But yes, David... And um, yes, Dave Balf, yeah, did, yeah, he was all right. It was. Did you get a, Did you get that about him? I he did. Was, he was okay. He was down to earth in a lot of ways, and uh, yeah, it was all right. Wish him well. Yeah, but you know, that, and it established us. It certainly established Damon Albarn. I know that. You know, and uh, and off it all. You know, off we went. They he, they went off into sort of superstardom. I guess you could call it that. Um, and we went off into the sort of undergrowth of indie world. Right, but one of the benefits of being in the undergrowth of indie world is that there's nobody like Dave Balf. Um, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but there's nobody, you know, sort of t- attempting to shape shape you. You you take your own shape, you know, and uh, I mean creatively. And so we during the ensuing years in in indie world then that we've operated in, we've been able to do that, and and it's. Creatively, I think it's been um, pretty rewarding, actually. Um, on that front, on that bit about, you know, the first album and stuff, because it was quite yeah. an, an interesting period because obviously it's a sort of a changing of the, not just the decade, but there's kind of a bit of a musical shift, isn't there? The You know, there's a lot of kind of, a lot of bands I've interviewed during that, you know, for that period are sort of breaking up at that point because they realise they've they've been doing it for five years, they've done the single, they've done the tour and the first album, the second, possibly third album. And by the sort of 88 time, I, I suppose, you know, 87, the Smiths break up. I know I go on about the Smiths, but they was, they was felt like a bit of a closing of a chapter. And then Ecstasy comes along and then you have the, the Seattle grunge sound comes along and, and there's a sort of dance scene going on as well. How did you, how were you navigating all these kind of slightly zeitgeisty trends that were going on while you're sort of, you know, in a, in a, you're almost like a few years early for Britpop at this stage, aren't you? Right, we you you've, it's very uh, you know um, insightful of you to to ask that. I mean, we yeah we 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 fell in between the cracks of all of it, you know. Um, it we 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 did we we were we 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 never we never um, became identified with any of those movements, um, either consciously or unconsciously, and as a result. It kind of held us back, but as I say, it, it it also put us in this totally free zone, you know, where we were where we weren't we weren't subscribing to any um, you know given style or instruction. So it so although it was a, a strange period for us after we'd left a major label and stuff, um, but we but we we you know we we survived it it, it survived creatively. We carried on putting out stuff. 
And uh, so, yeah, we fell between the cracks of all of the, all of the things that you've just mentioned. Yes. But, but working with Chris Potter and Chris Kimsey for the first album, going back to 88, and you're right, a lot of bands were folding around there. That's 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 true i remember that but uh, and we were like this band that had come out that were that would get or playing sort of great guitar and that and had this sort of very well received debut album and we kind of we kind of we kind of bridged it into the into what would become the next guitar phase yes um, we, we, we were like this bridge i don't know whether the the, the bridge itself it was was just used as a bridge and then discarded, but it carried on being a bridge, and that's us, you know. It was, it, I know. Is that, is that it, a bit psychedelic, or does it make sense? It does. It does make sense. It's almost. I mean, there were, you know, a lot of, you know, bands like yourself, you know, like yourself, but there wasn't a that kind of scene moment. There were probably lots of people a bit more individual. Now I know every band who's in a scene go. We don't really feel like we're in a scene, and you think. Yeah, but you were really, you know, you were we, in that, you, you know. We you... wanted to be in one, we, you know, we, we, we don't, you know, we, we, we would have t taken the option if, if people, have, if any, if people had wanted us to be in one, we would have gone, yeah, okay, we'll be in your scene. We would have, we would have done that, but nobody wanted us to be in their scene. We were always on our own, <laughs> you know. Yes. Was, we were like this sort of outcast, really. But hey, isn't that the kind of, you know, in a way, in a way, isn't that what it's all about anyway? You know, it's an outcast. That's, that's the whole thing of rock and roll. I'm not saying it's great being an outcast, but it it it's can sometimes get very stifling being part of a gang, which we never were, or a movement, which we never were. Yes. <laughs> and that, that kind of in the early 90s, as we were in now from the Thatcher years to the John Major years, you did quite yeah. a few interesting covers, didn't you, at that point as well? You were sort of... You, you did um was it the beach boys god only knows well yeah that was that was a well yeah i mean although i i heard that the beach boys um heard that version and, re and gave it a, their approval you know um i did hear that whether it's true or not i'm not sure but i, th I think it probably is uh, yeah that was a, one, a kind of a last that was balf idea which is talking about david bell that was that was an idea from him for us to to cover it and we we did it with these these two guys, these two producers, and really, it's just it's not really the band at all. It's just me singing over this track that these these guys have put together, and then Rick Wilson played some some oh, there's some guitar, some organic guitar on it, but that's it. Um, but you know, it's, it's a fair old version. It's un, it's unusual. It's, it doesn't it doesn't really sound like Diesel Park West, but it was it was a fair old version, and I think it was the second highest climber one week in the chart. But um, of course, the BBC didn't play it. The BBC never liked us, you know, so they never played us. I mean, in the daytime. Yeah. So that, that was another reason of falling through the, falling through the cracks. But we're still here, and a lot of bands at the time that that you know that would did a lot better than us are, are not are not here anymore. So it's, it's you know there's more than more than one. Uh, way of looking at things well absolutely and um and it's but then you know as, as we sort of were trundling through when you came to record was it freak gene which was kind of sort of the mid the mid 90s period did you feel like that was a period where you you were sort of fitting in to see you know because top of the pops was just filled with guitar based bands did that feel like you were a bit more in a comfortable scene at that stage well, we were in a comfortable scene because because we were completely on our, on our own. We were we were recording back in you know in the home studio here, and in Leicester, um, we, and we and we we'd learned a few tricks as well, and uh, we were just, we just recording loads loads of stuff. You know, it was a real a very um, prolific time that. And uh, we got with this little little indie label who put Freak Gene out. A great response, um, and and. Yeah, there's a lot of really strong songs on Free Gene. In fact, what Free Gene, when, when that came out, EMI re-signed me as a, for a, as a solo, for a solo album, to a ba based on, on the writing that, of, of Free Gene. And that, 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 that came out on, on Chrysalis, you know, which by that time were with an EMI, an EMI label. Yes. And, you know, so yeah, Free, Free Gene was a, a very important album, and lots. It's a really good record. We we all really like that one. Yes, and what was it like getting 
the the kind of the solo, the suddenly eighteen ninety seven. It was kind of um, the height of new, the kind of political wave, wasn't it? The new Labour years here, and you sort of hit a solo career. What was that? Um, did that <laughs> did, did that feel kind of exciting at the time? Well, it, it was before. It was just yeah. Blair came in at the end of ninety seven. Yeah, this was like ninety still ninety six ninety seven. But you're right. Bands like. Um, you know, uh, bands, bands were obviously the Mancunians had, had happened. I can't really say the name, but uh, you know, they, 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 Oasis like were happening, and, and uh, you know, all, all those, those that kind of guitar thing was going on, and uh, it, it kind of made made me and the rest of the the band, the members of Diesel Park West, in a way, vindicated where we'd been at for a, for a long time, with, with to no in, to not much interest really, but suddenly this this sort of you know a kind of youth club band or club band come come along you know with, with from manchester to do this one album and it explodes you know and suddenly it, it it's back you know like a guitar rocks back but in a bit like what i refer to as a bridge we kind of we we, we felt vindicated for somehow having cut the undergrowth down for that era to happen you know i mean it might sound like a bold a bold claim to make, and and what it is, um, you know. But um, in a way, I can see how we we might we might well have had that effect, you know, on on musicians certainly who would then go on to be in bands. Yes. So we did our bit. And who was with the with that particular album? Were you working with members of um, Diesel Park West? To yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. So I mean. It, it, it basically the decisions were 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 all were, were all mine, but the, because it was a solo album. But the, a lot of the performances are the guys from the band. Yeah, they are. Yes, I mean that was kind of yeah, it's kind of an unusual moment, isn't it, to sort of yeah. slip into that. So when you came to do Hip Replacement, mm-hmm. what was that? What was the atmosphere? Obviously, this is back with the band. What was the atmosphere like with the guys at this stage? Well, there were three albums: Freak Gene, Hip Hip Replacement, and Thought for Food, right? Which were all really part of a of were all recorded. It was all recorded in, you know, like ninety four, ninety five, made at the back end of ninety three. Yeah, the back end of ninety three, ninety four, ninety five. And when all, and after this, I'd, I'd, I'd done the solo album, went back with you know, and we started putting Diesel Park West albums out. The, all those three albums were taken from that pool, you know, uh, so. Yeah, well, like I say, the atmosphere, the atmosphere was was always very sort of creative between us, and we, we we wanted to be with each other. You know, we wanted to sort of to to play with. It. There was a, we always we always dug each other. You know, there was no there was no no creative falling out. You know, there might have been some personal niggles now and again, not very often, but creatively we, we were always very uh, united. You know, and and, and ambitious. Yes. That's amazing. I mean, it's just, you know, it's a great, you know, a great journey that you've done, done with the band. I mean, it's kind of amazing how it all starts kind of in the late 80s rather than the early part. And then, but then once you get the traction, you know, because, you know, not only are you releasing albums with the band, but then you sort of go off and do that kind of solo projects as well, which is, um, <laughs> which I've just kind of, yeah, it's, it's, it's boggling, but it's just the, the ambition and the stamina to, to to navigate that, which is often quite hard for any kind of musician and artist, because often there's just that feeling of burnout. So, did you ever have that? I don't know if I can do this one more time, or did were, were you? Have you always had that kind of bloody mindedness to keep going? Yeah, I've I've never felt that. I don't know whether I can do this one more time. No, I've, I've it's all it's always been um, certainly through those years, and they were difficult years personally. There was a lot of you know, uh, upheaval, personal upheaval. But even throughout it all, you know, the that that still kept kept going, Not unimpaired really. In fact, in some ways maybe even enhanced by it. But you know, but uh, but yeah, I, I've never did feel like I, I can't do it anymore, kind of thing. Um, it's only it's only now um, that those kind of thoughts are, are, are I wouldn't say like a, a within me. But I'm aware, just by virtue of time and age, that well, you know, there has to be some end game somewhere, you know, and and so I, I wonder when and how that'll be. Nevertheless, the, the stuff that we're you know doing 
uh, you know, right now and stuff that we've done recently in the last two or three years has never been. It's never been uh, a case of like this is the last one. We've got one more shot here, you know. It's never been that, even though realistically that that has to come at some point. Yes, and how have you managed to sort of navigate? You know, like. You know, I was talking to a band last night, well, the main person of the band, dealing with the kind of, I suppose, like anybody, you start having to deal with, um, people don't refer to it as personnel, but, you know, some people are sort of dropping out, some people you having to sort of be kind of slightly pushed to one side because they, you know, a bit of a mess, you know, they can't really cut it anymore and they come with too much baggage. How have you sometimes had to deal with some of those kind of slightly awkward and, you know, moments... Um, well, they, they, it can sometimes be like a, uh, uh, like a, uh, you know, the machinations of a two de court, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it, it can be very, um, very brutal sometimes and, uh, and always, always upsetting. I mean, there was, there's a couple of things, a couple of occasions when that's happened, but, uh, but really all, all the way through, um, it's, 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 it's been yeah, pretty cohesive. Um, obviously, we lost the, bass, uh, the original bass player, Jeff. Jeff Bevan. He he, he died last year. So that's you know, the first. That's, you know, that was a, a big shock. He, he'd been out of the band for a, a couple of years bef- before that, due to he couldn't really do it anymore. But to lose him was a great sadness. Yeah. And yeah, but but in in terms of to, you know what you're saying to, to answer your question. More, more succinctly, I think we've kind of coped with that well, really. Uh, there was an early loss. We lost the, the original drummer um, when at the end of the first album. That was a uh, that was a, uh, a a very deep, um, you know, uh, self-inflicted, uh, but possibly necessarily necessary wound. Uh, that that I carried that. That hurt for an uh, or what or guilt or whatever. I think more hurt than anything else. But I carried that for for quite a few years, and and you know, and only relatively recently. Well, I say the in the last ten years, I've sort of realised that you know, hey, it was nothing and it was necessary. But there was, but there were things, you know, that are that that, that were were hard emotionally at, at the time, yeah. At the time, and but then, but then things resolved. You know, for instance, he was replaced, and eventually his replacement became really good. And you know, so it so it carries on. Yes, because when you did your just going back, well, coming forward actually, after you did let it melt. Obviously, this was yeah. kind of towards the end of the decade and and at that point you know we didn't realize what was what was just around the corner which was a disaster really for the last couple of years so did how did you sort of deal with that kind of horrendous kind of lockdown period that sort of shaped the first couple of years of this decade did you did that help creatively or did that sort of sort of put you into some sort of seizure or shock well i think we got lucky didn't we because it was such a nice summer (laughs) <laughs> it was actually but, uh, yeah well it was first of all it was like really freaky not not going out and playing you know not, not going out on the road or gigging well that was a blimey you know it's the first time ever but uh personally you know i know it was a terrible terrible time for for many people but i just kind of hunkered down here in in, in leicester and, and actually recorded an album with th- throughout it, you know, which is, you know, uh, and that that was the follow up to Let It Melt, which came out what, last year. So yeah, I was quite busy through it, really, in a kind of private way. Yes, did that because I know quite a few people that that really took gave them that time to to hit the pause button and then start looking at a archiving a lot of their material and stuff and thinking actually I should really sort some of my stuff out that I've got in boxes in the attic and and you know then sit down and start sort of learning how to swap files and sort of writing new material for the next project you know while thinking I'm going to go nuts if I don't do something with this free time that I've suddenly been given even though we enjoyed the summer and letting our hair grow a bit longer which was quite nice but we were excited when we managed to get to see a hairdresser so that was good so did yes did your you know a couple of years give you a bit of reflection on on what how to then tackle the next period uh i kind of just got got into what i was doing i i did reflect on things yeah and and 
and uh, things things naturally were, were shaped different. But I, I just I got on with things, and um, it's in fact it's now that I'm doing a lot of that. You know, the, what you've just described, I'm, I'm finding myself doing a lot more of that right now, which I think is good. You know, during the lockdown time, it was I quite. You know, I quite enjoyed it in a way because it was there wasn't a lot of pressure, but there was still, but there was a lot of time to do things. You know, yes, uh, playing. And one thing that I've also noticed when I I started doing this show, you know, a few five years ago, there didn't seem to be a huge amount of interest in in that period of the eighties. I know most people bizarrely now have started. You know, a lot of the bands from that period. Um, unlike you, they they did stop and they got on with other things and now they're started again. And actually what they're really enjoying is writing new material. But they've also found that the there's a bit more of an audience and curiosity of what happened during some of that period of the 80s and early 90s. Have you found that people have started discovering the band a bit more who hadn't ever heard of you recently? And yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really noticeable. Uh, at, at the moment, where um, you know, with the, the reaction on online and stuff, and the messages that people people get, uh, album sales too, you know, and uh, d- different things, you know, different different pointers to it. There's a there's a, a lot more um, interest in certainly in us, and obviously we're associated with that period um, within the last uh, last eighteen months, really, you know. So, yes. Uh, there, there and we've ne- the thing is with us we've we've never it, it's never split we've never um you know there's a lot of bands reforming there's a lot of reformations but we we never have done that there's all there's always been a a, a continuum of you know diesel part west we we consider ourselves to be um like you know in s- still in this kind of uh in terms of recognition, uh, a, a, a kind of pretty underground thing, really. Or, or we were never supposed to be underground. We were supposed to be overground. You know, EMI, corporate major label overground. Ironically enough, how we are, how we've, how we are now are, is is the opposite to that. But we, but we're still here, and it's and it's still really red hot. When when we play, it's you I know mean, we're all kind of older guys. But when when we play, it's it's the uh, whoa you know like really great we're old enough to know when we when we're bluffing you know we're old enough to know and experienced enough to know when we when you play in a rehearsal or let alone a gig but when you play and you you man you know it we used to be good but this is a bit weak this is a bit sad you know we'd we'd know that you know and it honestly it's just not like that when we when we plug in and we go in you know after about 20 20 minutes of sort of blowing or something you know, in say in a rehearsal room, it's suddenly this great um, sort of sort of psychedelic jet rock jet <laughs> sort of comes <laughs> comes at you, you know, and it's fantastic. And that's that's why we we're still here. Yes, it's, a, it's great. It's a great thing to do, really, when you experience that. Yes, absolutely. And I know from you know all these bands have been sort of really re-energized i think they're sort of thinking i might still sort of slightly struggle to um not walk with a limp in the first five minutes of each morning but once i get going <laughs> I'm, I'm on i'm on when i'm on stage you know i forget about all those little creaks and those aches and and you know it's it's going to keep me alive i think most people realize that this is it really you've got to do your keith richards and iggy pop really haven't you you realize it's a it's a life force really yeah, there's, there's, what just two, the choices are simple: either do it or or do not do it. You know, but uh, to but to do it and knowing it's good is 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 great. Yes, and with that last album, not quite the American Dream, that was on Happiness. Is this a label that's based in America by any chance? Yes, yeah. it's the same. It's the same label that put the previous one out, uh, Let It Melt. Um, it's a label called Palo Santo. Happiness is kind of an imprint of it. They 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 wanted to sign us um, long ago it was for the Let It Melt album and and then the, this, that follow up that you just mentioned so yeah they're based in um, yeah in Texas in Dallas just came out of the blue that did they were fans just got just got in touch do you man did you manage then and navigate that kind of interesting world that is kind of you know 
ownership and the, you know the publishing of the music or is that something that's that's just kind of I don't know fallen by the wayside because I know some people have thought you know after all these years they've got their music back and they're able to reissue it as they want and other people have said no that's that's never going to quite happen I just wondered how it is for you well it never quite 100% happens but I'm not, I, a lot of the early stuff um, which was published by um major publishers that that's all recouped and i and you know it's so there's there's a obviously I, I own what i own um but then but then stuff since then um now nah, you, you 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 keep control of it by virtue of the fact that it's not signed to anybody you know yes. so it's open to be signed but i think i think that the the business as a whole um, is a lot more um you know, transparent and on that front now and it's it's changed it's changed dramatically but I, I, I'm not one of these people that can um, really, cl- cl- you know, claim uh, any. I'm not really disgruntled about about the way things fell in in that in that department, you know, music, uh, publishing wise and you know, the legal legally. We were never we were never Diesel Park West was was never ripped off. There's not a kind of a rip off story about some dodgy management or record label. Like we were always treated pretty well. Yeah. And, and in, in a business that's not known for its straightforwardness, not known for its, you know, its veracity, to use a Balfour word, <laughs> but, uh, but but we we, we were, um, I can't I can't say that we were ever treated uh, badly in that area, no. So you know, this it's kind of Happy Valley in, in terms of that. That's brilliant. Have you ever sort of been tempted to do any kind of box set, you know, um, compilations that you know people love to do at this stage? You know, bring out all the kind of demos and B sides and putting together a nice booklet for the band. Yeah. After this, we're just we're doing a we're doing a, a a new record right now as we speak. Um, we've recorded quite a lot of tracks actually, twenty twenty tracks. So it's more than one record. But like, but once this thing that we're doing right now, which will be sort of finished in the middle of this year, and when once that's been out and done its thing and lived its life, then um, what you just described, I'll probably look at doing. It's crossed my mind to do it, yeah. And there's some, there's, you know, there'll be some interesting finds, some interesting stuff for people that, you know, would, are into the band. Yes. And who, you know, maybe maybe that'll, that interest will, will grow. That, like, like we said previously, there are signs that it is. So, you know, just need to um, honest, honestly exploit that. Exploit it in a good and groovy way. I mean, if you could have whispered something to your, like, 16-year-old self starting out in this interesting and slightly murky world sometimes and ups and downs, and, I mean, if you survived it, and you certainly have, I mean, is there anything that you might have wanted to whisper in their ear, even if they ignored you, just to um, think, yeah, that would have been really handy, but um, hey-ho. To my 16-year-old self? Yes. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's, uh, well, the, the American golfer, Tiger Woods, the guy that, the guy that, um, that schooled him, the guy that brought him up and, and, uh, you know, like his mentor, I don't know if his stepfather or whatever, but the the old guy that brought him up on, on his deathbed said to, said to this young lad, you know, Tiger was, concentrate on your golf and fuck everything else. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what I might say to my 16-year-old self is like, concentrate on on the music and what and what you're doing uh, in a in a in a, in a intelligent way and don't be sidetracked by uh you know by other things that 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 may naturally come at you but don't get over sidetracked by them so because because i was when i was younger i was kind of sidetracked um but you know so that i would i would would, uh you know not warn warns too strong a word advise against being sidetracked over necessary, you know, over and above what was probably inevitable. Yes. Which I, which I did, which goes hand in hand with a person, a hedonistic personality, the very same personality or personalities that create the music in the first place. So, you know, you can't have one without the other. Yes. And with the new album, is that, you said you've recorded, you know, quite a few tracks. Is that due out for the, towards the end of this year? It, well, if it ain't by the towards the end of this year, it'll be it'll be this time next year. 
It'd be really, it would be really good though. It's really, I know everybody says that their new album's great. I know, I know, I understand that, but you know, it is. <laughs> it's really strong stuff. Yes, and your band is, is it? Rich Dave Darrell. This is the one. This this it part. It is what is it? Your current lineup is this with you, Rich Darren? Yeah. No, Rich Barton. Yeah, you just call him Rich Baron. He was he was he was misprinted as that on one of the albums. I think the second album. Yeah, Rich, that's what they called him, Rich Baron. No, his name's Rich Barton, yeah, or Dick Barton, if you like. Right. And, uh, he, he um yeah he's yeah he's the guitarist with me, and then we've got like, yeah then Daryl Hopper on bass and Dave Bryant on drums. There's four of us, and it's it's good. It's great. It's great. Yes, and it, and at the moment, I, I guess you're all in the same kind of neighbourhood area, so you can rehearse together. Yeah, yeah, in this, yeah, we're in, this, in the most mysterious city in England. We are, yeah. <laughs> what Leicester? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how many bands have come from the that area. You know, especially during the eighties. You know, I've done a lot of interviews with. Um, various kind of indie pop bands, and and John Peel did certainly champion a lot of bands from that though that kind of county, didn't he? So um, there, was, there was a time when there was two or three, maybe three or four bands that were on the cover of the Enemy or the Murder Maker. That's true, yeah. That, that came from here or very near to here. Yes, and your live dates—you've got one lined up, haven't you, for the summer? Have you got any other dates possibly? Yeah, we think we're doing about four in um in April. And then the, the, there's a there's a few more that are starting to come in. So, so we'll yeah, I would I was we're definitely doing a, a few a handful in April. And then I would say, you know, in, in the summer there'll pro- there'll probably be you know at least half a dozen more, maybe a couple more festivals. So we'll be active. But the main thing we're doing is recording this year. Yes. Indeed, that is the end of the interview. A massive thank you to John Butler for giving me the time for that interview. That was uh, Diesel Park West. Sorry, there was a there was a couple of connections that dropped during that interview, so um, I probably slightly um, edited them together without uh, too much finesse. But anyway, you get the gist. Um, a massive thank you again. Anyway, uh, this has been the C eighty six show, David E. So if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just do C eighty six show. All these have been archived interviews. That is, so you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam. It's true. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe. <laughs>